Hey guys, welcome to the It's Tell Health podcast, where we talk about mindset, mental health, and overcoming challenges that all of us face in life. I could not be more excited to bring you this week's episode with my good friend, Joe Lemon. Now, Joe Lemon is an amazing individual. He is the host of The Joe Lemon Show. He is a student of sales. He is a healthcare entrepreneur. And in this week's episode, we're going to talk about some amazing stuff to include mindset, overcoming challenges, being a black business owner, and then raising a culture of community in the 21st century and utilizing amazing tools like LinkedIn. Let's get into the episode. Four, three, two, one. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. I'm incredibly excited to have this guest here with me today. Joe Lemon is somebody who I've been following for quite some time on LinkedIn. I'm loving the messages that you're putting out to the marketplace, always talking about mindset, really talking about some topics that are incredibly important to me. Um, you know, the other day you posted something on LinkedIn that was about black business ownership and some of the challenges that we find being minority owned businesses, especially in the healthcare space. Um, and so I want to really talk on that today because, you know, I feel like more so than anybody in my audience, you really resonate with that topic. Um, but before we do that, why don't you give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Where are you from? Tell uh, everybody what your story is about. 100%, man. Well, you know what? First and foremost, thank you so much for taking time to have me on the actual show. I love the, I love what you're doing, man, around mental health. I think that we need more platforms that will give the tools to the actual practitioners to be able to easily have a seamless you know, relationship with their actual clients. So I think that's wonderful, bro. And um, a little bit about myself, man. I'm just a guy from Pittsburgh. Um, I raised under uh, um, two great, phenomenal parents, man. Uh, my dad is very analytical. Uh, he's an engineer. Matter of fact, he was the fourth black industrial engineer to actually graduate from Georgia Tech. And then my mom was just a sales boss for like AT&T. So that kind of puts me together. I got a little more of my mom and my sister has a lot more of my dad. And, and so, and so, I mean, I have a sales background, but I have a heart for health, man. Um, my family has come up through the trenches with like type, type one diabetes, type two diabetes. And, you know, a lot of the stories that we hear throughout lots, lots of our families with high blood pressure and, and all the rest of those um, hit my family pretty hard, pretty early, lots of chronic. So it put me into the space of really getting into personal training. And I got into that wellness coaching side um, during college. And I love that. I had my first business around doing um, nothing but personal training throughout Atlanta. Um, and and I, I love that space. And that's what really drew me to this, this, to this whole health world, man, in the first place. Man, I mean, like incredible background. You know, the fact that your dad has such an, a high esteemed accomplishment in your family heritage is so impressive. Um, was that something that your dad was always pursuing as a little kid? Do you have lots of memories of him kind of, you know, being the engineer and like ascending through the ranks and the Georgia Tech graduation is so, so incredible. That's awesome, man. Oh, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I, he's he's the wisest guy I know. Right. And, and I think that most most uh, parents I and mean, most kids would probably look up at their fathers like that. Right. I think I saw you actually mentioned a post that was similar to that. I mean, I mean, you but when I look at what he did and you know, I'm, you know, I'm his son. So I was just, I was just in the house with him. And I thought everybody's dad was doing this type of stuff, like grinding, always reading, just always staying in it, you know? And, and then um, you start learning a little bit about, about their stories along the way, man. It's just, um, no, it was definitely something that kind of boosts everybody's self-esteem and he has a really big head. So, you know, yeah. I don't need to give him any more props than what he already has. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing, man. Yeah. I mean, when we have those, uh, you know, me and you have both been incredibly blessed to have that strong parental figure, you know, um, Dad, like my dad, has always been a grinder, always been somebody who's really been important on mindset and always was telling me to go get more than what I thought I could achieve. And, you know, having those fundamental building blocks underneath us is so important, especially when we start getting out to the real world. You know what I mean? 
That's right. That's right, man. I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, one of the beautiful things that I realized when I first started training hard um, and, and getting into that personal training world was I started because my family was ill and I wanted to be an actual model. I wanted to be a better example. I was a chubby kid coming up. So, you know, I mean, I played sports and whatnot, but I was always like the 200 pound plus kid in like high school, which is kind of big because I'm only 5'8". Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, 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 but what I realized is that man, when I started working out, I was pretty decently strong. Not crazy strong. I, I learned that down the line and I'll, I, we can talk about that later, but, but, li but literally I started working out and I found my space. And, and one of the biggest things from my mindset part was I realized the importance of being consistent and what you can achieve. And the fact that you don't even know what's possible when you start something, but if you allow it to compound how that's just, you know, something that you can, it can take you places that you can never imagine. So um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's been my, um, thinking about building businesses as well as just trying to, uh, get through rough parts, even if it's like personal, right. Just kind of weathering those storms of just making sure that you keep putting one foot right in front of the other, and then having that clear sight on, on where you're going in the future. Yeah. I mean, that's been a huge part for me is the consistency is something I've started to appreciate a lot more as I've gotten older. I've recognized that in order to really accomplish those big goals, it's the compounding effect of that consistent effort over time right. that really has the largest impact on your overall trajectory, if you will. That's right. That's right, man. I mean, I mean, and look, you've been doing it too. And, you know, even, even talking about some of the topics that you mentioned earlier, um, things that we're seeing uh, that, that are really interesting that are happening throughout uh, lots of black entrepreneurs, especially um, when, you, when you look ac across the country, uh, and I'm based out of Atlanta now, but, you know, raised in Pittsburgh, and it was like at the bottom for, you know, just having black entrepreneurs uh, come up. And, and you know, when you're raised in it, you don't really kind of get it. You don't really understand why that is. It just felt like a town that I, I needed to leave. Um, but but now, I mean, I look back and I, I can see a lot of those signs. There, was, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure and there wasn't a lot of that community support that would allow you to kind of build up that actual consistency. I mean, yes, people break through and, you know, people can do anything, right? So, I mean, we're not going to sit here and say that there was no way. I mean, there was definitely a way, but it, I think that your chances of being successful are multiplied when you have people in your corner that either have experienced it before or can give you some guidance or at least just cheering you on to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. That was something I really related with um, your post on LinkedIn the other day, and you were talking about black ownership in Pittsburgh. And, you know, you mentioned another city of Seattle. So my parents were both born and raised in the state of Washington, and I was mm. born in the suburbs of Seattle. In 1997, my dad just started his entrepreneurial journey, if you will, by purchasing a adventures and advertising um, franchise, which is like all of the notepads and the pens and everything that you do for like um, conventions and events. That's and right. I remember him always traveling from Seattle to Detroit. And eventually he was traveling so much back and forth that we actually ended up making the move to Detroit. And he justified it because he's like, there's so much more opportunity out here. And as I read your post the other day, I was thinking about the representation of other Black families that I saw in Seattle back in the day was pretty much minimal to zero. I don't remember a lot of other ethnically diverse children or family members being in our neighborhood or being around as much as when I was little. And then we moved to Detroit. It's nothing but Black families and it's nothing but, you know, other cultures, which is very interesting. But it's kind of put a seed in the back of my mind that made me think about the opportunity is where the infrastructure and support of the community is at. And that was something that you touched on in that post as well that kind of really resonated with me. Yeah, I, I mean, man, and you know, if we just kind of take it up to where we are today, right? Like if you think about um, 
you know, Motown that was coming up back during, you know, during, during that whole era. I mean, I mean, that was still the actual remnants of that um, down here in like Atlanta, big like hip hop culture. Right. And, and, and people are kind of taming, you know, naming this as like the whole black Hollywood type setup. And, and those things are great, but man, think about the opportunities that we have just online. And that's kind of what really sparked, I mean, it's really sparked, like, like got me thinking about how we can do things differently and try to build those infrastructures virtually. Um, and so one of the things I've been really up to recently is just finding ways that we can try to cross pollinate and try to really collaborate better throughout, you know, building up community. So um, even in healthcare, it's something that you would think that would be pretty wide shared, but it's really fragmented and it's unfortunate because- mm-hmm. Again, I, as you know very well, it's one of those places where um, people don't talk across the lines a lot. <laughs> you know, like like it's difficult to get their therapist to talk to their pain specialist to talk to their you know uh, GP. I mean, so I mean, I mean, people are kind of fragmented, and it's left on the actual um, patient to go about trying to piece all that together and really have the know how of really how to navigate that system, which is challenging. It's comp- complex, and so when I think about the actual black experience and how much more successful we can be by working together and trying to collaborate, even if it's not directly impacting each other's businesses, just the representation of having a model. Like, and that's what started me back to, you know, being as a personal trainer, I want to model for my family and try to inspire them that way. Because it's one thing if we're ever talking about it, but if we're not living it, I mean, that's, you start losing people, right? Like, especially as for anybody that's trying to build up any type of business, like, if you can't model what you want to see happen uh, throughout your own business, if you're not living it, and I, I even think about this differently and even deeplier, I should say at a much deeper level now that I'm a father, because I have this idea like, okay, I can tell my son what to do. And that's kind of like the old school classroom style. I get in front of the actual room, board screen, you know, I, I got my chalk, son, this is what you do. And, and, I, and I can preach to him, right? Like, hey, you should do this. And that's one way. That's like the lowest level of modeling to me. You know, I mean, it's, it is an example of something. So it's, it is some information better than nothing. Another level up is like, literally, I'll do it with you. So we're in this collaborating together, right? And, and you're like, side by side, you're learning, they're learning with you. And this is, this is, you know, a collaboration effect where both you guys can like, just really feed off one another. But the highest level to me is when you just model it. And that's whenever you do it, whether anybody's watching you or not, so much so that the people know that, hey, Keenan's going to post every day on LinkedIn something about gratitude. I didn't even go to LinkedIn yet today. I know you posted something today, right? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that that to me is the highest level that it doesn't matter who's watching. You, everyone knows what's going on, whether they tapped in or not. And so that to me is where I want to try to inspire a lot of healthcare providers to really get to, as well as trying to have that cross-pollination effect throughout building up communities. And so, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful message. I mean, leading by example, in my opinion, like you said, is one of the best ways to inspire others to do so. You know, the thing that I've seen on LinkedIn, especially, I mean, some of, from a statistic perspective, we've got 800 million users on the platform and less than 2% of those people are posting twice a week. And so when you're leading by example, by posting every single day, you can really have a huge effect on what people are seeing, the content people are exemplifying and trying to follow your suit. Um, And so, you know, consistency, going back to that is a huge part of being able to deliver value from my perspective, but it also really helps me overcome some of my own internal hesitancies and insecurities as well, because the process of getting out there and speaking your message confidently and allowing for other people to see how consistent you're being, like you just exemplified, um, is also a big challenge. And I'm not sure if you struggle with that at any point in time. Oh, always. Uh, I mean, I mean, always. And, and, you know, um, 
it becomes a little bit more natural the more you get into it, obviously. I mean, I'd imagine, I mean, after you kind of get over a couple months of, of doing that, you just kind of, you can get things flowing on like autopilot. But, you know, either way, it, it's always a challenge, right? And it's always something that I think that you have to be mindful of because even when you take it up one notch and then trying to find new ideas, trying to level up, trying to add more value, how do you press in deeper on like certain like issues? And then even just that whole idea of, how subjective a lot of your thoughts are. So people may think it's great, people may think it's horrible, but um, you know, there's something there that I think that uh, we can all gain from just, uh, you know, pushing past those areas of, of, of fear and and really of doubt, you know, and, and and that's something that I think every entrepreneur is going to experience. You're going to have moments when you're still looking at the business like, all right. Uh, I know we built this product. Is it still the right product to actually do? Or should we pivot and, and then chase this other like bright and like shiny thing? You know, that that's always there. And, and I don't think it ever goes away of, of just having those moments of doubt and, and like moments of apprehension. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so speaking on the topic of entrepreneurship, you know, you've gone through a couple different seasons of growth in your entrepreneurial journey. And I recognize that you started a new organization or a new mission, I would say Nearsight Health Network as of January, 2022. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, I mean, honestly, this is a place where I'm bringing together healthcare providers. I'm starting mainly in this pain management space. Um, and, you know, it's funny because uh, what happened uh, throughout uh, COVID is that we kind of forgot about this huge issue with opioids. Right. And, and a lot of what I was doing previously was working in this medical device space. Um, I'm still working in that space, but at a different capacity now. And I was working with a lot of physical therapists and chiropractors and regen medicine guys and helping them provide alternatives to offering pain meds. And so we would have like non-invasive tools like shockwave therapy and other stuff. And what we, what we found is that one, people didn't know how to maximize them. Two, they didn't know how to refer out that well. And so I was like, look, we need to do better at educating the people that are purchasing and investing in this equipment. And so we started up at this, this actual online community and literally just start off as a call. Like I used to do a call every second Wednesday with, with, with my you know, clients basically who actually bought from me and, and we start building on that. So I built it out to be a whole separate community now. And, and I'm bringing on more and more uh, medical device companies to help educate these people that are looking for alternative ways to, uh, you know, opioids. Yeah, I mean, things that people are getting caught up in this whole pill popping culture and, and um, really trying to just give some um, non-invasive tools out there, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you said, the um, first of all, congratulations on starting up this new venture. I mean, it's just so impactful because you said it pretty succinctly. The opioid crisis is still something that is occurring right now underneath our nose. When I first got into the telehealth space in 2014, I was hearing a lot of the huge exodus of the providers and pain management in Kentucky, getting their licenses taken away. And then the vacuum that that created in that area, because now we have a gigantic demographic of people who are used to taking these pills and are addicted to them very transparently. And now the providers are sucked out of that environment. And so what happens then? You know what I mean? Those type of problems don't exactly go away overnight, but those are long felt effects in the community. And so the service that you're doing and providing, you know, alternative options to some of those super, super addictive medications is incredibly powerful, man. I'm proud of you. Appreciate that, man. I mean, I mean, I mean, honestly, this whole this whole mission is really is really about trying to lift up the actual um, healthcare providers so they can do, um, you know, at least offer more options to their actual patients, right? Because I mean, it's crazy to see what you know pills can do to someone that wants to get like hooked on them, in and 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 not just what it does to them, but what it does to their family, um, and then that thing trickles out throughout throughout the whole, you know community, man. I mean, I mean, I mean, and, and there's numerous examples of that throughout throughout our history, right? So, so trying to find ways that we can do business better and, and, and with all the tools that are coming out, um, especially from the medical device side. And that's the part 
that I think is is interesting for a lot of these other these lots of these other healthcare companies because they've been doing this old school method of door knocking and waiting in lobbies, trying to meet surges in parking lots, and a whole bunch of crazy tactics. That sure, those worked and they were great. You know, '90s, early 2000s. I mean, you can make you know really good revenue doing that as a, as an actual org. But man, uh, times have changed and people don't you know, allow you to just to kind of hang out in lobbies as much anymore and do all these weird tactics. And so I'm like, man, if we can build up an actual network that makes it easier for you to have access to people, but you're doing it with leading with value by trying to educate them the right way about things and not push, you know, information and do infomercial stuff. And yeah, so that's what it's about. Well, I mean, that's a huge topic that I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, You know, you and I connected back in the day on the topic of sales and also being able to communicate effectively. So how do you think, you know, you gave a, cre- a couple of great examples. You can't hang out in lobbies anymore. You can't really door knock on people. You can't shove information down people's throats anymore like you once could and be effective. So from your perspective, how is the sales game changing in the environments that we're now participating in, recognizing that there are those limitations in being able to show up in person? How are we creating value through the sales process and what kind of stuff are you seeing out there? Man, you know, it's crazy, man, because there's so much like sales tools that are out there. It's, it's bananas. Like you look, look on online and you'll see over 1500 different types of sales technologies that will help automate messages and send out canned responses. And some of this stuff is getting really interesting too. Like they got a whole LinkedIn plugin where you can literally like, like someone, give them a recommendation, uh, send them a message. It's hundred percent automated and it's not even that expensive. And, and it's scary too, because it's like, man, there's so much automation, you're, you're losing the personality, you're losing mm-hmm. the human connection. And I think that it's only a matter of time and people are already getting burned out on it. It's only a matter of time before it gets to the point where that's like hit its ceiling and that stuff is just kind of dried up and dead as well. But that's what technology does a lot of time. It forces us to kind of, you know, um, <laughs> show some of the worst sides of ourselves, right? <laughs> and, and but, but either way, um, I think one of the biggest things that's happening right now is people being able to be people. Um, people don't want to see the corporate version of you anymore. They want to know who you are. I just got them working out. So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that fit, but I, you know, I, I didn't feel like getting, being outside of how I would normally do most of my phone calls. Right. I mean, but like just being honest about who you are, honest about your like sharing the insight behind, you know, your industry, having a, an actual opinion. That's just not maybe what everybody else is saying, like having your own thoughts, doing your homework on that area. And so one of the things that, that, an approach that I've been um, encouraging my team to really take and myself that I've been using for the past four or five years now is just, you gotta, you gotta get in it with people. Like you gotta get in the actual shoes with your clients. And there's all types of ways to do that. You can do it through the podcast. You can have, invite them on your show, have conversations with them natural and just figure out what they're what, like, honestly, what's their pain points without even trying to sell them anything. Just conversation about industry talks. So you understand what's going on because if you don't have a, a, your actual, you know, POV, that's a little bit unique then um, as, a, as a salesperson outside of what the corporate speak is, I think that you're really missing it. Yeah. I mean, my, my two cents on that is like you said, the technology that's around us today is more efficient than ever before, but unfortunately it's also commoditizing us so quickly, no matter what sector you're in. And so at the end of the day, you know, these platforms are not only meant to help us network and grow our communities, but they're also enabling us to show who we truly are. And, you know, at the end of the day, in my opinion, business is a people to people game. There's often a comparison of like, is this a B2B company or are you a B2B or a B2C company? But it's like, we're really a P2P company because we want to do business with people that we like, know, and can trust. And we actually kind of relate with. And so, you know, I commend you on that attitude because 
that's a paradigm shift from where we've come from, especially on a platform like LinkedIn that we do so much communicating on. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And, you know, just another thought too, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this because one of the things that we've been doing on Nearside is uh, I use different um, uh, software like Mighty Network, which is like your own, you're probably pretty familiar with. I think we talked about it at one point, but it's, just, it's a separate online um, social media network that you can have. It's really simple to use, nothing crazy, but it allows people to really share more freely and maybe tap, it, tap in a little bit further than what you might want to do on like a Facebook pages. And you control that actual network as well, which is which is something that we've been doing. And it's something that... um. Man, when I tell you about from a from a business standpoint and, a, and an ROI standpoint, the, it's a slower growth. But when I tell you that the relationships are way better, the referrals are phenomenal. And anybody that does business know that's what you want, a referral business. You don't want to spend all your time just trying to run ads. You want to get the word of mouth or someone to give you a nice intro. And I mean, it's ridiculous after this past three only been three months of us really cooking on this proper, um, the, the amount of uh, deeper relationships that we have and better quality people that we're speaking with. Yeah. I mean, I need, uh, I'm going to very transparently say I could use a little bit of your advice on utilizing a platform like that, because okay. I've started to recognize that the community in which you create is the most important value proposition. And, you know, I often hear you talk a lot on LinkedIn about like Web3 and some other stuff that's going on. And one of the key components in that whole Web3 space is the community and the foundation of people that you can get around a project, not even the project itself so much. And I recently took a dive into uh, the NFT space for the first time. And I'm a part of Gary Vaynerchuk's VFriends community now. I got into the V2 Mint. And so I uh, have a little guy I'm right here, which is my ambitious angel, which is the Uh, NFT that I got. Love it. But it's amazing to see the community that he's been able to foster because like in the Discord channel and in the Twitter feed and everywhere else, people are just such gigantic advocates for each other in that space. And so that community aspect of building what you're trying to do is so important. But how has, you know, that community sent, go ahead. I was going to ask you about that first, man. I mean, I mean, like, so, so, I mean, I'm on, I'm on the actual Discord channel. I haven't bought an actual, um, you know, NFT yet, but like, I mean, I can share my experience, but I would love to hear how it is from Gary V's perspective as far as what's happening on the uh, inside. Yeah. I mean, so on the inside, it's very interesting. His whole premise on building the community is he wants to use his NFT project as a way to create loyalty long-term. And so the, a lot of people don't understand what NFTs are. They're like, oh, you just own a picture. But his perspective on it is I can use the backend contract, the NFT, the blockchain, to not only verify that you own one of my assets, but I can also change the contract to give you access to certain things. So for example, you can come to a special event. And then when, when you're at the event, you're going to meet all the other people who are there. So in seven days, I want to say, there is VCon in Minnesota. And the channels have just been going crazy about people being like, hey, this is what I look like. I can't wait to meet up with you. It feels like summer camp from an adult perspective of people who are willing to commit to going and actually meeting each other. And his premise is wait until you see VCon in 2023, because this year is the first time we've had VFriends 1 and VFriends 2 coming together. Now these people are going to spend three days of time together, just kicking it, being friends, hanging out. Imagine the community that's going to come out after that. And it's just so powerful because he's always been so, uh, what I'm doing for you guys is more important what you guys are doing for me in the project. I love that, man. I I love that. You know, and, um, one of the guys that's super cool um, here out of Atlanta, Morgan Ingram. He does he does a lot of sales coaching, whatnot, and um, he works with JB um, at their actual sales organization. But one of the things that they've been doing is renting out these mansions 
uh, and they'll do like just like a straight content house, right? But but yeah, they're talking shop and doing a lot of of like you know educational stuff, and and it's fun and cool from an actual B two B side. But it's more about inviting people out just to have fun, and mm-hmm. I think that that's the part that this where we're going get where everything's going right because and I've been going I've been going to like trade shows for years and. That's what really got me to actually do this myself. I hate them. I hate going to trade shows. Um, <laughs> you know, I sit in the booth, you know, it's a huge mass amount of people walking by. And the funnest part to me is whenever I link up and try to get dinner with like a small group of people or we'll hang out and just talk, you know, whatever, life, family, a little bit of business, but not that much. I mean, it might be like 15% of what we're up to. It's just trying to catch up with everyone. And so that's what I've been trying to foster as well is literally just having these moments where people get to know people more intimately. People start sharing things that are going on in practice talking about like the real stuff that you don't want to just open up about to everyone like man i'm struggling with this guy he has this going on that going on i don't have a solution anybody got any tips any tricks any any advice and it's things that i think that people would wouldn't feel uh comfortable sharing and just a a much larger network and so that's kind of how we've been using it but the goal is to really make it more of something that is not only just this utility, but a place to come and really just deal with people and have a great time. Man. And and we got some uh, in-person events lined up too in the future. Man, I love that. That's so powerful because exactly like you said, you know, I think it may be COVID and the pandemic was a catalyst that kind of pushed us into the personalization of business, not only from a communication perspective, but also showing up as our authentic selves. I feel like for so long, we spent so much time putting on the suit and tie. And this is something that I've always, you know, kind of leaned against in healthcare. No disrespect, of course, to, you know, the people who are in the space and representing large organizations. And there's always going to be a place for that. But like you said, the ability to connect with somebody on a personal level creates so much more depth in the relationship and the ability to be more transparent and open and vulnerable about what your needs are, which gives your partners the ability to kind of step up and say, I can help you in this way. But when we're maintaining this mask on places like LinkedIn or going to a trade show and everybody's buttoned up and walking around and handing out business cards, it feels inauthentic, if that makes sense. It does. It does, man. I mean, and really, if you think about where everything's going to kind of just light some fire up under everyone that might be listening is that, you know, I mean, that stuff's going to get phased out. I mean, I think the, I think the big guys will always be able to do it. Um, but the more that we stay in this quote unquote comfort zone of how we've always done it, we got to realize technology is taking over, man. And so, I could, you know, if there's an app I could put in now that can connect me with a whole bunch of strangers and have me endorsing them and liking their posts and all the rest of that, that's already there. I mean, like you think that you'll be able to stay in the bubble and not have me blow past you. Like this other piece of software that's been blowing me by, it's um, uh, using it with another client. It's called Connect and Sell, where they literally have people that are just dialing for you. And then you know, as soon as you get your right person on the line, they plug you in. So, mm. I mean, for every, like, so for instance, I used to, one of the first jobs I had that I was horrible at was cold calling. I used to make like 70 plus cold calls a day and I hated it. Um, and just had the wrong mindset coming into it. It was in a cubicle and I was just you know, like, just, just really suffocated inside there. Right. Yeah. But, you know, that was me grinding, like just getting that phone and doing it back to back. Now there's people that are just having these software that I can automate that for you. And you're only talking to live people. And so they're for every like one person that's cold calling, if you still want to use that strategy, someone that implements this other type of software and they're doing your four, you know, dials to one, 
I mean, like, you're not gonna be able to keep up. And it's the way that you're gonna be phased out if we don't try to find ways to be more human. It's the only thing that robots can't do right now, man. <laughs> I mean, just being honest. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense because I have the experience on LinkedIn often where I'll have somebody like one of my things and then endorse me for something, but I've never yeah. met this individual. So I'll reach out to them and be like, hey, I really appreciate the endorsement. How's everything going today? Crickets. Right. Nothing comes back. And I'm like, okay, I'm seeing where the automation is being super effective here. But unfortunately, when I'm looking for that human connection, you guys aren't answering the bell. And so I almost look at it as like a double-edged sword. It's very, very slick at cutting through some of the wasted productivity. But unless you're there to answer it on the other side, when somebody actually perks up and creates the opportunity, it's a, can be a, a misuse of that weapon, if you will. Hundred percent. I mean, I mean, and you know, one of the things that I've been trying to get a lot of smaller companies to think about is, you know, um, try to find ways that you can be a lot more efficient with, with, with your, with your manpower, right? So, and you know, another thing that I think is just a, a growing opportunity is that there's so many people that are willing to work these gig opportunities and work fractional. I mean, tapping into more of those type of services and ways to to have more people that are are live and ready to answer the call if you are going to use some software like that, which is kind of wild because if you endorse me and you don't know me, I'm like, man, that's that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you should at least be able to kind of like, hey, thanks for the actual, you know, um, plus on my marketing. You never see my marketing, but thank you. Um, like, how do we know each other? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, have we done business together? Like. And and it's crickets. It, it it looks now now it looks probably tainted in your eyes, right? And yeah, I know it does to me. I mean, so you know, having somebody that you can work with that can help you, you know, fill those gaps with the human touch, I think is something that more small businesses should be looking at because trying to find good talent is difficult, but you can still find other ways that you can plug people in to make sure that you're always having having somebody there that's personalized to actually have that humanized experience. Yeah, because that's going to be a key component of it. You can automate the heck out of the world, but unless, you know, you have that final touch of humanality, then, you know, it's going to be tainted in somebody's eyes um, right. because I've been endorsed for, you know, my um, like systems or endorsed for something that is completely outside of my business spectrum. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, okay, yeah. that's interesting. So it was a good conversation opener, but uh, I don't know how really <laughs> effective it really is. Um, you know, you mentioned something in the earlier portion of our call, which was, you know, being able to engage with the people on the platforms. What is some advice that you have for building an audience on a platform like LinkedIn? I know you're upwards of like 11,000 followers on the platform now. So you're killing it, um, really creating so much influence. But like, what are some ways in which you would give suggestions to people who are like, dude, I just cannot get my audience moving now. How do I kind of ratchet that up? You know, um, I mean, everyone's favorite topic is 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 themselves. So, I mean, I, I think that just trying to start with that mentality of not trying to, I mean, definitely don't come out trying to push and product and, and trying to sell anything off jump. I mean, um, of course you guys can get to that down the line if it makes sense, but um, be interested in them. Like look at one or two posts. And this is kind of how I started doing this, looking at one, one or two of their posts and literally just trying to have a thoughtful comment and then shooting them a DM about what you thought about that post. And it will normally get you an actual, you know, acceptance or somebody at least saying something. And of course, doing videos, if you want to really dive in, like that's how we linked up, I think. Mm -hmm. Doing like the whole Vidyar videos, man, they're killer. You reached out to me, I believe, or, or vice versa, I forgot now, but I, I use it all the time and it's money. If someone could show you an actual live video of what's going on in their life and it's relevant, they're not just like a canned message of, hey guys, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> but something real. I mean, I'm already in because you took 30 seconds just to kind of say what's up. Um, but starting with the other person's thought in mind is the best way 
getting that engagement over time is just like, it's one of those compounding effects. But as the more that you can hit other people up, um, I think if you look at it from a one-to-one play, you always, you always have a, a pretty decent network, I believe. Yeah. I think uh, you have to really be a practitioner of the platform. You know, I think a lot of people expect for their numbers to grow if they're just posting things about themselves and they're like, why aren't people engaging in the stuff that I talk about, about me? And it's like, well, you know, you have to really spend some time. So one of the things that I'm doing currently is um, I'm really being thoughtful about the people that I want to connect with. And I'm huge in the mental and behavioral health space. And so one of the initiatives that we thought would be very powerful is our mental and behavioral health providers today are under more stress than ever before. And it seems like they're almost working consistently in the minds of our brains, but they are not getting the recognition that they deserve. And so we started an initiative called the Mental Health Hero of the Week. And being able to shine a light on the people who are doing the good work makes a lot of sense to me, but also gives us an opportunity to organically engage with a lot of different providers. Because, you know, often people that I experience on LinkedIn are reaching out and saying, are you interested in my service as the first way to kind of open that door? But when you have the opportunity to kind of shine a light on somebody else, even if, you know, you're talking about strategy of like a podcast, for example, um, being able to do a goodwill gesture by giving somebody praise for the hard work that they're actually doing to support us makes a lot of sense, but it also feels a lot better as well. So that's something that we've been doing. I mean, man, I mean. I love that play. And, and, you know, thinking about content and thinking about how to maximize these, these actual um, um, uh, platforms. I mean, I think you've been doing a great job. I mean, the fact that you have a theme behind what your messaging is, so people know what to expect of you. It goes right back to the whole modeling piece, right? Where like, I know you're going to, I know you're going to be talking about gratitude. I know you're going to come up with a positive mindset. And the fact that you're promoting other people, it just falls right in line with that branding. I mean, so like those type of things, I think are great frameworks for us to think about because having a framework is important too. Because, you know, as we are coming out the gate and it's just like us as people, like, what do I talk about today? Well, what do you want to be known for in the mm-hmm. long run? You know, like, what do you want the, your actual, you know, the marathon of you to actually be talking about as far as your actual content or your messaging? Or what do, what do you want people to think about whenever it's time to reach out to you? I think having those frameworks are extremely important to helping you uh, have good success whenever it comes to building up your business. Are That's you something- brand? That's over. That's something I've been thinking a lot about lately is, um, you know, the thing that. I love about Gary Vaynerchuk and why I kind of went into his ecosystem of the NFT and basically became part of his community was an analogy that he gave one time. He was like, you know, I feel really bad for all of these high performing athletes because they hit their peak when they're in their young 20s. And then by the time they're in their mid 30s, these guys are pretty much washed up. And he's like, one thing that they don't recognize is that they can put their talents and that pursuit of excellence into the sport of business. And the sport of business is one that you can play forever. And so me transitioning out of being an athlete and doing the three sports my entire life and playing at a collegiate level and then not playing, I went through the identity crisis. And once I heard the analogy of like, oh, this can be the next sport that I can play, kind of really changed it up. But then you have to think about what do you want to be known for as that athlete? And so the pursuit of money is great. But if you can come up with a macro message and a framework, like you said, that is so much more powerful, then I can feel good every day showing up and perpetuating that aspect of my sport that will eventually turn into the financial reward that I know is going to come at the end. It's a long game. Yeah, 100%, man. It's a 100% long game. And this is why, you know, it's great that you that you're able to kind of pivot out of that because a lot of people get stuck into that, you know, um, now what phase, right? You get stuck into... 
I, I did this for all my life, 20 years, 25, 30 years, however long it's been. And now I'm going to pivot out to who knows what. And it was one of the things that was kind of with me because I, I thought I wanted to get into healthcare. I wanted to be a, a physical therapist, but I was like, I don't feel like going on the, on the more school. I had way too much fun partying. And so, you know, like I, I found myself back into this space because it's something that I believe that, you know, this helps people live a better life and, and really being able to put your mission behind um, what you do every day, I think this allows you to dive in and from a different angle. And even for what I'm doing on the actual sales front, I always claim to be a straight salesperson first. Cause that's, that's how I actually cut my teeth doing this, but you know, I don't want my sales like in overall, um, view of me to be more of this guy that's chasing a dollar. Absolutely not. I want to be somebody that's built around service, that's built around helping other people first. And honestly, I want to be doing a lot of this giving away things and walking away from a lot of opportunities that just don't make sense or that just aren't for me at the moment. I'd rather see a lot of other people win around me. And and, and that's that's big into me, you know, everything I believe in as well. And why I think that building up a community um, is, a, is a great sales strategy for a lot of people that are into helping other people, but also helping other people win in a way that is not feeling like you're taking away from your own, your own, um, your own success, you know? Yeah. Cause when you can be the mayor of your community and you can establish what those core values and principles are, it creates, um, a lasting effect and it gives you a multitude in perpetuity. Because when you have the ability to kind of represent who you want to represent, who you want to work with, what factors and what contributing characteristics they should be giving to your community, um, and you maintain that and you don't chase the dollar and bend at the quick, you know, what's going to happen right now moment, um, those things get so powerful. And I love to kind of hear people like you recite that because I see some of the most successful individuals in our industries in general really kind of lean into that. And that is the X factor that they get in their growth. Love that, man. Yeah, 100%, man. You know, this is definitely one of those marathons for me, something that I don't plan to kind of come off anytime soon. Um, and your reputation matters, man. The more that you start thinking about, you know, where you want to go in the future, how you want to be known, um, what, who you want to show up at your actual funeral, if you want anybody there. <laughs> I mean, like all that stuff plays into it. And you start thinking about life differently and the deals look super small and things don't even make sense if they're not... Uh, something that's going to blow people away and have them talking about you and, 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 and sharing it with, with your actual friends. So that's kind of what, that's kind of how I view uh, closing business these days. It's like, if we're not doing the actual testimonials or case studies afterwards, I'd rather not even do it, man. Yeah. I mean, cause it gets uh, and I think we've seen a lot of conversation. I'll use Gary Vaynerchuk as an example. He came out with a book called 12 and a half, which was about the soft skills. And he used the example that I kind of referred to earlier. He was like, I can find anybody these days who has the hard skills of being able to be a marketer or can balance books or understands how to develop product and do systems and, you know, supply chain, but it's the people who have the empathy, the compassion, the ability to deploy candor that are the most valuable assets to my team and my long-term success. What's your two cents on kind of how those soft skills play in the future of business? It's it. It's where it's at. I mean, I haven't read the book yet. I look forward to really diving into it. Um, I'm de definitely a straight Gary Vee fan. I, I think he, I think he's dropping some of the most influential content for business leaders out there. And, you know, I, I mean, these soft skills, 100% where it's at because AI is getting great. Like all this sales tech that we were talking about earlier. I mean, it's, it's pretty solid, man. I mean, like if you're just playing by the book and reading a script, 
man, God bless you, man, because it's going to be it's going to be a rough road because you're going to be competing versus, you know, boss that don't sleep and don't have emotions and don't have things that happen in life. So like being able to tap into your best self and, and, and showing that humanity is 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 the only thing that matters. And and, you know, if you're stuck in a place where mentally where you're just burdened by that, I mean, obviously work with people out of your actual network, I think is is, is the place to start. But, you know, just getting people around you like yourself, Kenan, who can just kind of show them positive thoughts, man, it can, it can reframe frame how you look at doing your day-to-day work as well. Yeah. I think it's just like, it's so important because, you know, a huge topic that has been kind of talked about is our mental health because it's mental health awareness month, this uh, month in May, but it's the, the balance factor is super important. And, you know, uh, Alexa from my team came up with an initiative. She was like, I think it's important that we each show how we balance and nurture our mental health. And, you know, a huge part, just like you is I was as a younger guy, um, the heavy kid. So I was six, six in high school. And I was like two sixty five, down to like two forty. felt really great about myself, went to school for college, stopped playing baseball, got up to 297.4. That number is always going to be ingrained into my head. Cause I saw it on the scale and I had to figure out how to start leveraging the balance and balance in my life comes from the fitness space being able to work out and serve myself first and being able to get all those endorphins out and challenge myself in a way that is not business oriented. What are some of the ways that you find balance in your life? Man, you know, um, I'm right there with you as a guy. Uh, my number was 268. I got to 268 when I was in college at, at the whole University of Pittsburgh, eating a whole pizza to myself and like yep. drinking some beers. I mean, it was it was the fastest way to gain weight ever, man. So uh, yeah, that's number that's forever like etched in me. I'm like never again, right? Um, fitness for me is huge. I mean, I, I love fitness. I love working out and just moving because, like you said, it gets those endorphins going. But um, I'm finding a lot of joys in in, in the simplicities of life too. So um, I, I love being a straight plant dad too as well. So I have like a, I mean. My son Eli's on like a year and a half now, and we'll go around and just water the plants in the morning. Do that with some, you know, super chill like music, and 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 that's a really good zenful way for me to start the day. Um, but just finding like peace in nature, I think is huge. Like going outside, getting grounded, having your shoes off, just walking through the grass again. You know, the basics. Um, those have been like crucial for me these days, as far as a way to kind of get out of my own head and really just do something that uh, allows me just to kind of relax and just enjoy the moments and just be. And do you think that has a huge component in your overall productivity as well? Because sometimes, you know, I talk about this in a joking fashion, but living in Hawaii now is awesome because of the nature ability um, to get outside and go to the beach and hang out on the weekends. But I'm also kind of on the double-edged sword side because this house that I live in now is like 800 square feet. And so I spend so much time in this environment on this device of my computer that sometimes I feel like when I overdo it, I become less productive. And so disconnecting sometimes and being able to get that distance from this helps me show up better and recharge and more effective. I'm not sure if that kind of relates to you as well. Oh, hundred percent, man, because I was living in like um, LA for about five years and we had a small spot and similar, maybe 700 square feet, you know, and, and, and we were just there and loved the area, you know, old town Pasadena. My wife still hates that we left right now. So she wants me to look at doing something else in the future. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, it, it's a beautiful place. Weather's gorgeous every day. But with that being said, man, you can't kind of spread out and kind of move around your own property the way that you probably can if you were, you know, in, in like Vegas, right? I mean, so um, one of the things that I think is really great is 
getting outside, but I even, I even like tracking it for myself. I use this tool called BioStrap. I just pulled it up really quick and I, I literally keep track of my sleep and all the rest of that stuff uh, on a regular basis, on the regular basis, my, my whole heart rate, um, how much time I spend and just being thoughtful. And I watched them on hours. I, I kind of stay on my devices too, because all that stuff adds up for me as well. So, I mean, but sleep has been crazy important as a way for me to like, make sure that I'm managing the actual, um, you know, challenges throughout the day. And when I tell you about being more productive, like it's crazy to think about how little sleep I used to believe in getting. And then I remember wasting so much time, like, you know, getting five hours of sleep only or whatever, four and a half and even less sometimes. And then you spend like, okay, I'm going to get more work done, but you're looking at the screen. You're not really getting that much work done. Are you, are you in this fog throughout the day and you think that you're doing a lot, but you're not really accomplishing anything. And so being more productive does start for me at night. And then also trying to find ways to kind of take away, take a step away and have these mini sprints throughout the day. It makes me really um, much more effective. Yeah, I really want to talk about this because this is something I'm super interested in. Um, give an example. You know, I've heard Jeff Bezos talk about he did a process where he was working so many hours, but now that he's in his later career, he recognizes that he has to make better decisions to be more effective. And so he prioritizes getting eight hours of sleep per night as a priority, like a minimum. And he talks about how that has huge effects on his mood, his ability to make decisions, his ability to approach situations in a calmer mindset. Um, what are some of the ways in which you're helping your situation and your routine prioritize sleep? What does that look like to you? What kind of stuff are you doing? Well, you know what? I, I think the, the biggest part about sleep is that you got to have a cutoff time. You have to know when you're going to stop because I mean, like if you, if you have a time when you got so much work to be done the following day, like, and you got to be up at certain point, you know, uh, periods of the day, just for meetings and all that. I still love getting up in the morning. I'm, I'm a morning guy, but with that being said, like I, it's so easy to get caught up in Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV and get into the shows and get into all these series and benching out. Having a hard cutoff time has been big for me. I mean, I, I really try to push to get six and a half to seven on a regular basis. That That's my optimal for right now. Eight probably couldn't do, do me any harm either, but six and a half, seven is, is a big uh, jump for me for coming from that four, four and a half that I was doing a couple of years back. So, I mean, like, uh, starting with having that hard cutoff time is great. And then doing many breaks throughout the day as well. Um, watching some of my clients take midday naps has been really interesting and see how much more productive they, they are. Um, and really um, finding times that you're going hard, but then cutting off the caffeine and doing more of a, a relaxed type of tea type of way that you're kind of vibing into it where you still get a little bit of kick, but nothing crazy. All those little you know habits are things that I've, I've been really trying to double down on. Yeah. Um, do you have like an established, I heard somebody who I um, follow quite intensely, not intensely, but you know, I really look up to him for his accomplishments in business, a guy named Alex Hermosi. He, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Alex Hermosi, yeah, guy's a monster, but he talks about, I don't need a wake up alarm. I need a go to bed alarm to be able to kind of shut it down. And so do you kind of structure your night? I know you have a one and a half year old, so obviously sleep is not as um, abundant as it once was for sure. I'm sure it's getting better, but like what time, what type do you, uh, what time do you go to sleep at nighttime? Man, you know, you know, what's wild, man, is that um, I talk about discipline, like that is where it's, it's been wild to watch how we've kind of evolved over this past year and a half, but man, the kid lays down for 13 hours. Mm. We got a we got a strict routine with. I give a lot of props to my wife for doing this. She she really like has orchestrated this whole night to routine. That's butter. I'll I'll even kind of run through it with you. So literally at seven like like seven o'clock, 
He's Rashenda down for him. So he's already had his nighttime snack. He runs around, does his thing, you know, does like his little quick like diaper changes and all that stuff, puts him in the tub, you know, by 7.15. I'm talking about this is military style, bro. And it, I mean, I, I never thought that we would be this type of household, but we we are definitely here now. <laughs> and <laughs> by 7.30, where my kid loves to read books right before he goes to bed. So we do three to four books max. Four books is the cutoff. You know, two books, if he's like, you know, already kind of get into it, eight o'clock, lights out, we're out the door. Me and my wife have some time, 930. I'm trying to like, you know, put everything low. So I start kind of winding things out. And man, I try to call it a wrap by 10 o'clock at the latest, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in that vibe. As I've gotten a little bit older, I start, me and Malia will literally start shutting it down 745. It's, I give her a hard time because we'll look at the phone while we're laying in bed. It'll be like 849. I'll be like, oh my God, babe, it's so late. And she'll be like, dude, who are you? Do you know what I mean? But my thing is in order for me to show up early, because I'm trying to become more of a morning person, I like waking up at 5 a.m. It's kind of like where my body's like naturally like just showing up. Um, I need to get that sleep and nothing really productive for me happens at nighttime. The Jersey Shore binge watching or the Netflix series and stuff like that has becoming less and less valuable in my life because I recognize how much time I have to be able to be efficient during the daytime. Does that make sense? hundred percent, man. I mean, if you look at what's going on too, like just look at some of these actual stock prices. And I mean, of course, velocity stocks are down, but I think Netflix quoted something like, I forgot how many um, hundreds of thousands of users jumped off the, off the actual platform. I think people are realizing and waking up to the fact that, you know what, another series isn't going to add that much joy to my life. You know, I mean, there's, I mean, there's nonstop content, but at what point do you want a deeper relationship? And that's, you know, even bringing it back to business as well. Like, how do you show up better for people? It's difficult to do that on two hours of sleep. It's difficult to do that when you're foggy and just pounding bangs all day. You know, like you need to be able to stop your mind from racing and mm-hmm. being able to be present and just show up and listen and actually hear what people are saying and being able to read right in between the lines as well. All that's all that's crucial stuff that if you're just going through the motions that you'll miss. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a topic that I kind of want to hit on real quick before you wrap today mm-hmm. is the ability to show up as your calm self in some of the tough times has been something that I put more and more value on recognizing that you've been through your different ventures and you through your different seasons of life. What are some of the ways in which you've been able to get through the tough times? Do you have a specific mindset or a specific learning lesson or analogy that you kind of pull back to when you see times getting challenging? Because, you know, on the entrepreneurial journey, this stuff can get kind of scary. Um, and the ability to kind of be a wartime general is so much more valuable than freaking out. You know what I mean? So I kind of love to get your two cents on that. A hundred percent, man. So I, I, I'll tell this story as we kind of land a plane. And so I was working, um, uh, doing B2B sales for this company. Um, and then I got, you know, one of my clients that I was doing imports and exports with, uh, it was an up and coming startup here out of Atlanta. Uh, it was this fitness product. I loved it. Um, I was like, man, you know, I was like, I could, I could move a ton of your guys' products. And, and so I got started with them. I, I left this corporate place and I went into this startup um, with like five guys working out at a coffee shop table and using these uh, rework types, you know, setups where we were just wartiming it, literally just at a desk, right? Like seven dudes. Um, and it was great. I loved it. Um, that company went on to get acquired. Uh, well, I should say this first. It went on to Shark Tank first, and then it got acquired by Damon John on like, on like Shark Tank, right? And so when, when they got acquired, things got different, you know, as, as people could imagine. Uh, and I won't get into all the politics about that this year. We can maybe save it for a different time. But either way, when the things were like, okay, we're moving the company to New York and I'm based in Atlanta, 
just got married only like a year into like, or maybe a year and a half into marriage. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going. And the other people um, at the table with me, right. Like seven or eight of us uh, that were there, they're like, they were like, no, man, we got to fight it. We got to do this. And I'm like, you know what guys, I'm more concerned about, you know, showing up big for me, my wife right now, being there for my fam. And I had a vision of what I wanted. And I'm like, I can't get lost into that drama. And being able to compartmentalize things and focus in on what you want to focus, I'm, I'm focusing on the main things that are truly movers for you, right? Um, and being graceful enough with yourself during hard moments, like when you got family things going on, how we talked about a little bit off, you know, offline, like, you know, being graceful enough to say, hey, I'm going to do the big thing today and then I'm good. You know, like the big thing is the vision of this. We'll do that thing. And then I'll let the other stuff rest so I can take care of some other personal business. I think having that focus of the vision of where you're going and not getting caught up in the things that won't give you that big return for you, whatever that is, um, that's, that's been my biggest wartime movement. Because the times when I took my eye off the puck, I remember back in 08, I had my personal training business. I was running around trying to figure it out. And, you know, during the whole housing crisis and all the rest of this is going on. And I had nine trainers that we were all working together and doing stuff and had clients. And I started pulling and trying to do everything. And I just maxed myself out. I got burnt out. Hmm. And that's because I took my eye off the ball. You know, like I wasn't focused on where we were taking the business opposed to trying to do what everyone told me to do. And I'm watching the actual stock prices drop and my little bit of cash in the market at the time was dropping. I'm panicking, you know, every day watching this, all this red across the actual screen. It did nothing for me on my business. But one of the best choices I made was whenever I said, hey, I got to focus on what I got to focus on, put me into this actual medical device space. And that's been taking me on to launch my own business. So having that big actual vision of where you want to go and that and being extremely selfish and, and gritty about that, but letting everything else fall off so you can take care of the things that are most important else in your life as well. I think are the biggest wartime moves that I could say. Yeah, I mean, and that that conversation, that example that you gave to 08 is kind of eerily familiar right now. We've been watching what's happening in the stock market. So I know a lot of people have been getting, you know, kind of pummeled over the last couple of days as the market goes up and down and, you know, the economic insecurity that we're kind of dealing with. Um, but there are only so many things that we can control, right? right. And the ability right. to show up as our best self to give effort to the biggest things that move the needle are impressive or incredibly important. I made a piece of content yesterday I talked about and I got this from Jay Shetty. He said, you know, you can have effective days and you can have efficient days. And often we think that we need to have efficient days to be productive, which is going to the gym, dropping the kids off, doing that email, having that meeting, having that boardroom, blah, blah, blah. You go through the day and you check all these things off. But at the end of the day, you feel maybe not as satisfied because you were busy the entire day. But you can also have effective days and focusing on what you can have the most impact on to move the needle, which can be the most effective. Um, and that kind of makes me think about the Jeff Bezos comment that I made, you know, he gets paid these days to make few, very effective decisions and being able to kind of have that mindset and that cool feet underneath you, um, can have a huge impact in your overall success. Um, so, you know, I appreciate that advice for sure. hundred percent, man. And look, you know, I mean, no question, both moments in my life were stressful. You, you felt it. Um, and it wasn't like a, you know, a joy ride going through, but that's just a part of being human. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't think that it's right to believe that it's going to be a, a cakewalk, but I just do believe that when you're locked in on the right things and like, just, just how you said, you know, plainly focusing on what you can control, because there's a lot of things that 
we can't do anything about. Like you can't go and boost back up Amazon's price from where you are if you don't have any involvement in the company, right? I mean, there's nothing you can do there besides, you know, either sell it or just hold. And that's what you can do. So if you're holding, then hold it and stay into it and, and double down on what you can really have real impact on. Because whether you buy or sell or hold, whatever whatever else going on in the markets, is that really going to turn your life around? Is that the thing that's really going to make your life feel complete? And to any entrepreneurs, any salespeople, especially, like there's so much more we can do with doing less than we can with trying to spread ourselves so thin. So, you know, reaching back to your existing customers and make sure that you guys are solid, that they're still finding out um, or, or doing everything that's, that you promised them, that whatever your service or your product will do for them, I think are little things that, that we can all double down on. So. Yeah, no, I think that's an amazing way to, uh, you know, give some real tactical, but also fundamental advice to be able to move forward. Because I know a lot of people listen to the podcast, find themselves in situations where because our organizations are underneath more financial pressure, we're being asked to do more or our perception to do more is greater than ever before. But, you know, being effective in those things that we can control is super powerful. Joe, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Why don't you give everybody a little bit of information if they want to kind of learn more about you? How can they find you on the internet? How can they find you about more that you're doing with your companies? What's some ways they can get in contact with you? And you know what? First and foremost, thank you so much just for giving me the opportunity for bringing me onto the actual platform. Um, LinkedIn is, 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 is my hub right now. So um, please reach out on LinkedIn. I would love to connect. I'm pretty open, open book there. Hop into the DMs. Let's chop it up in like a real way. Um, if you want to learn more about the actual educational community, please go over to nearsighthealth.com. That's N-E-A-R-S-I-T-E health.com. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and I can't believe, you know, we finally had the opportunity to do this and I'm sure this will not be the last time for sure, man. Never, never. Can. I mean, Keenan, man, what you're doing, dude, is, is, is phenomenal. And I don't think even um, people probably won't come back and tell you exactly how you're uh, hitting them on a regular basis. But these, these drips of gratitude are something that I think that more and more people should double down on. It's inspired me, bro, on days when I was just like, ah, you know, a little, a little rugged, but I'm like, ah, there's kid kind of been happy again by life, enjoying it. You know what I mean? Like that type of stuff, man, it pays dividends in ways I don't think that we can actually um, calculate to share. Well, I appreciate it, man. It means a lot to me. Well, guys, it's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. Thanks again for checking in. We'll catch you next time. All right, guys, that's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. Cannot thank you enough once again for listening into this week's episode. We so appreciate all of your support. And if you're still listening at this point in time, make sure that you hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and make sure you drop a comment about your favorite part of this week's episode. We're going to be bringing you another week, another episode every single week on Thursday. So make sure that you follow us along for this journey because we love having these conversations about mindset, mental health, and overcoming the challenges that so many of us face today. Thanks a lot. And we can't wait to talk to you next time.